Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Well, I want to continue uh, in our look, our rediscovery, if you will, of the kingdom of God. We have uh, begun this year understanding the value of reminders and understanding the value of recalling and going back and looking at things that maybe we've looked at before, maybe even things as Paul told Timothy, I'm not saying you're not doing well in these things. In fact, you're doing great, but I will still continue to remind you. I will still continue to keep these things in front of you. You know, and we have this built-in thing within us that if someone's reminding us of something, it, it must mean we're not doing it right. But that's not the case. Reminders are necessary. I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine last week at a conference I was at, and we got on this topic, and I you know, wasn't sharing, hey, this is what we're preaching about. We just got on the topic of reminding yourself of God's word and uh, how important it is to be disciplined in that. And he said, you know, if you, are, if you have a football game and in the first half, one team is dominating the other team, you know, like the Lions were dominating the Niners on Sunday. If you know what I'm talking about, at halftime, it was 24 to 7. And the way it should happen is the team that's down by a lot, the coach is going to come in there and he's going to what? He's going to hit on the fundamentals. It doesn't matter what part of the season. I mean, they're at the end of the season. I mean, whoever wins this game is going to the Super Bowl. You only got one game left. But he's coming in there saying the basics. Do the fundamentals right. Know your position. Know, you know, the, the, the blocks and the runs and the plays and just the basics. And the other team, no matter how high they're up, should be doing the same thing. A good coach will say, do the fundamentals right. It doesn't matter if you're doing well or you're doing horrible. We need to be reminded of the basics. We need to be reminded of the fundamentals because that's what ensures that you come out victorious on the other side. It's not the spectacular and the miraculous and the, 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 those things that are, you know, grab our attention. I mean, I understand the fundamentals and the basics are not on ESPN's top 10 at the end of the day. I get it. It's the stuff that's out of the ordinary. It's the stuff that's extraordinary. It's the stuff that you can't draw it up on paper. It's the stuff that, you know, it just happened in the moment. But the reason why those things can happen is because you were practicing and putting into place something of fundamental value, elementary value, basic value that might seem minuscule. It might seem redundant. I know this play. I've played, I've done it over and over and over and over and over. I know it like I wrote it, but at the end of the day, it's the basics. It's the fundamentals that creates the platform, builds the foundation through which God can start to do the extraordinary in our lives. Amen. And so we've been seeing that God's reminders are just as important and ought to be valued uh, just as much as his revelation. The first time you heard it shouldn't get any more attention or shouldn't get any more value out of you than the repetition, the recall, and the reminders. Let it grip your heart and watch what God will do with even the reminders in your life. I promise you there's revelation in the reminder. I promise you because it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, he can still show you something out of that verse you've been quoting since you were a little kid. 
He can still show you another side of this thing if you'll allow him. But if we shut off and say, oh, again, oh, we're going there, oh, we've heard this before, then you're immediately cutting yourself off from any future revelation, any future uh, uh, value or worth that God wants to pull. And so it's important to look at these reminders. And so we've been talking about the kingdom of God, God's original intent, God's original plan. We began with this, that Jesus was obsessed with this kingdom. It's all we talked about. Everywhere he went, in fact, it was, uh, he, he was so uh, uh, absorbed and consumed by this kingdom that people began to take him as a literal king. There's an actual passage that said he had to remove himself uh, from the crowd because they wanted to take him as king right there on the spot, crown him naturally, you know, not just figuratively, literally as king in the moment right there. That when he stood before Pontius Pilate, he said, you know, you're here, but because people are telling me you're calling yourself a king. Are you the king of the Jews? And he didn't deny it. He said, you say rightly, I am a king. Well, what is this kingdom all about? What is a kingdom anyways? Well, a kingdom is a government rule. A kingdom is a sphere of influence. A kingdom is a domain where a king exercises his authority, his dominion. It's that territory. And we saw last week that God's intention and God's purpose was not to create a, 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 a planet to where he would put man on it and that God would oversee and control and rule everything in that territory and man would just be a little peon on the earth, always begging and always at the mercy of whatever this great creator being would have. We discovered last week that God gave man three things. In Genesis chapter one, he gave him identity, made him in his image. He gave him likeness. He gave him the functionality. What good is it if I tell you you're this, but I don't give you the ability to operate like that? What good if it, you know, if I say, you know, when Steve Jobs released this device, he said, today uh, we are uh, going to present to you a phone, a MP3 player, and a web or internet browser. Three different devices. Back in 2006, 2007, whenever this thing was first released. And everyone's thinking, oh, wow, three different devices. I remember the uh, Regis Philbin, Regis and Kathy Lee. Y'all remember them? Uh, I think it was that morning. Aesop's like, I have no idea who you're talking about. Regis? Regis? Who wants to be a millionaire? Come on, man. What is going on? I'm not. Don't you dare try to make me that old. There's no way. Thanks. Whoever said you are, appreciate that. Little dose of reality right there. Regis Philbin that morning on, he's like, I can't believe they're going to, they're going to slap an MP3 player on the backside of a, of a cell phone. You watch it. He's he's talking about who's going to carry that thing around. Nobody's going to use that device. That's going to be clunky. It's going to be weird. There's going to be an MP3 player on one side and a phone. I mean, we couldn't even picture it. But in Steve Jobs' mind, in his imagination, and the crowd's going crazy, you know, I'm going to show you three different devices. And then the screen shows up into one device that was an iPhone. Somebody said, amen. Amen. Somebody's proud of their iPhone. 
But what good would of it, what, what good would it be if he releases this great image, this, this great identity, this great device, but it doesn't have the functionality to browse the web? It doesn't have the functionality to play music. It's missing something. You are not missing anything. You have been given everything to function in your identity. And then from there, the third thing he gave man was assignment. Let them have dominion. So the function's there for a reason. The function's there for a reason. And it's probably something you complain about, guys, just to be honest with you. It's probably something, uh, you know, that, that maybe you told, you were told growing up, you're too much of this or you'll never be that. But the manufacturer, the creator, knew your identity, knew the functionality you would need. Well, I'm introverted. Well, there's a reason why. Well, I'm extroverted and I'm loud and I'm not nauseous. Well, there's a reason why. I'm type A, everything's gotta be in order. There's, there's a reason why. I'm chaotic and spontaneous. And I don't need all the stuff in order, I just go and do it. There's a reason why. However you're wired, there's a reason why. And the ultimate assignment is let them have dominion. You know what I noticed about that? God started with image, identity, gave them the functionality, and then told them what to do. The world has reversed that. Find your assignment, that will determine your functionality, and that's where you get your identity from. We do it backwards. We st- God said, find out who you are, and then you'll know what to do. The world says, tell me what you do, and then I'll know who you are. Y'all doing okay? I haven't started yet. That's just, we're just in recall. We're just in the reminder. We got to get this down. Because in Genesis 1, in that verse, 26, 27, 28, is the template, is the model, is the example by which every single one of us. And we think, well, my skin color doesn't allow me to do certain things. Wrong. My height, my experience, where I grew up, my background, my history, others' wounds. For I knit you, formed you. You are a masterpiece. Oh my goodness. See, if we would just get the kingdom, it solves everything. You understand the kingdom, it solves everything. I mean, right there, we we have solved man's worth, validation, and purpose. Just in one verse. Image, likeness, assignment. Image, likeness, assignment. Assignment. And we see that God's plan was to extend his heavenly realm to an earthly realm, to extend his unseen realm to a seen realm. God's purpose then for man was to extend himself from a heavenly realm to an earthly realm, to extend the unseen God into the seen earth. You are a direct representation of God in heaven, made in the image of God. And the earth is supposed to be a direct reflection of heaven. And that's why Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter six. Let your kingdom, what? 
let your will be done where? On earth. Why is he so interested in this earth? Why are we all trying to escape? <laughs> Why do we start the, the, the gospel presentation with, do you know where you will go when you... God's like, do you know what you will change when you live? Do you know what you can influence if you'd come alive? This ain't about dying and escaping. It's about coming alive and influencing. It's the complete reverse. It's the complete opposite. So you're saying I won't go to heaven when I die? That's not what we're saying. But we're talking about God's original intent. God's original plan. God's original intent and God's original plan to extend an unseen heaven to the seen earth and to extend the unseen God into the seen man on the earth. Well, we know that didn't last very long, did it? You know, I was, I was just talking to a friend of mine today, um, kind of along these lines. You know, Genesis 2, you know, I, I heard someone say, we, we only have two chapters of perfection in all of the Bible. Or, or four chapters, two in Genesis, two in Revelation. Genesis 1 and 2 in Revelation 21 and 22. The only perfect chapters we have. And God expects us, think about this now. God is expecting us to fulfill his plan and purpose off of four chapters. You know, and I, and, and I was talking, I was like, you know, you think he'd give us a little more content a little more content. Could we get to chapter 10 of perfection of Adam and Eve in this garden and ruling and reigning and what that looks like? And then my friend said this, he said, or maybe it's just that simple that you just only need the one chapter to see what God's playing. Like if, if, if everything went the way it's supposed to look, it'd be Genesis 2 on repeat. It'd be 2.1 and 2.2 and 2.3 and 2. It would be Genesis 2, everything you read in this chapter, God breathing life into man. And then man, from, from that moment on, uh, this is the way I like to put it. God gave man dominion and authority over the earth. Means this. If God had created Adam and Eve on any other day prior to Genesis chapter, or uh, prior to day six, man would have finished creation. Y'all all right? It's quiet in this Episcopal church. <laughs> That's how much dominion and authority God gave to man. Because notice, once man shows up, Everything God wants to do is going now through Adam and Eve. Look at all these animals. They need names. Adam, you do it. Now, he, now he's, he's exercising his will and purpose in the earth through mankind. 
And he's still doing that today. And that's where I want to get to today is how in the midst of the mess, because I know what we want to think. Fine, Pastor Mark, you, you can, we, we can believe that God, uh, uh, you know, extended and delegated his rule and his authority to man on the earth. And, and, and you know, in a perfect world, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, in the perfect environment, that would work. We all know what happens in Genesis chapter 3, right? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We all know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Man voluntarily sins. And I know what we think. This is my target today. The next 25 minutes, this is my target, is to reverse, repent, thinking that God had a plan B. Well, man messed all that up. And so instead of ruling and reigning on the earth and dwelling on the earth and exercising God's authority here, now God is back in control of the earth because we messed up and he sent Jesus to come and die for all of us messed up people so that when we die, we can escape this place. I mean, you can't refute that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, man's purpose, man's uh, origin, man's identity, man's assignment is caught up, consumed with the earth. What's that mean? That means Adam and Eve are not wandering around waiting for Jesus to come back through the clouds. Come through the clouds. Not even come back. Anybody got evidence that Adam and Eve were waiting for when Jesus comes through and raptures him, raptures them to, to heaven? Anybody got evidence of that? I don't think so. It was name the animals. It was take care of the garden, right? Guard it, protect it, keep it, tend it. Oh, all those definitions, you know what that means? It's in your control. It's under your authority. You guard the garden. You protect the garden. You make sure that these trees reap after themselves, these animals reap after themselves, that the, 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 that the earth is taking care of and that it's flourishing and it's thriving and that you fulfill your purpose in multiplying, having dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps over the earth and over all the earth. And what's the one thing that God did not give man dominion over? Each other. Didn't give man dominion over one another. But the affairs of the earth, if a storm shows up, who's in charge? We are. I mean, according to God's plan, nothing should happen in the earth without man's permission. So, Adam and Eve are not confessing Jesus as Lord and waiting to die to go to heaven. Right? The only death that they would that they would see. The only time death was even mentioned was what? If you eat the fruit of this tree, if you disobey my command, you will surely die. That's it. It's the only time death is mentioned. They're not looking for it. They're not waiting for it. They're like, man, we're good. We obey the king. 
We do what he's assigned us to do. We, we fulfill what he's placed us here to fulfill. We live on. We live, we live a fruitful life. If, Eve, if Adam and Eve don't eat the fruit of the tree, where are they at today? What a great question, isn't it? What a sobering question. If Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit of the tree, where would they be today? Right here. I have no evidence whatsoever that tells us they were waiting to get caught up in the air to go to heaven and live with God for eternity. We don't have that evidence. What we do have is evidence that man was given dominion over the earth and began to exercise that. But Genesis chapter 3 says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Because what you'll discover there, and we'll get into it later on, is the most powerful thing in a kingdom is the king's word. Nothing tops his word. In fact, the, the, the God himself says that he places his word above his name. That's how much honor and value is given to a king's word. If he says it, that's the way it is. In a kingdom, it's called law. And his law cannot be broken. God is not a man that he would lie. I asked you last week, you know, we, we talk about the sovereign God. Well, what is God sovereign over? His word. And by his word, he said what? Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. So, what does the enemy come to challenge? The most powerful thing in the kingdom. Did God really say? Did God say? And notice, he can't speak up until God speaks. The devil can only respond to the word that the king brings, to the word that the king says. You can't have a lie without first having truth. A lie is a response to truth. That's why the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free. Because before there was a lie, there was like Pastor Darrell said just a couple nights ago, I think he said it on Monday, he said, uh, you know, the devil was whispering in his ear, you know, about you know, speaking in tongues and the, the evidence of, he, he said, uh, uh, you're just making it up. Well, thank you for telling me that because now I know for sure it's of God and I'm not making it up because everything you say is a lie. You're the father of lies. Did God really say? He comes to question the word of God. She responds. Eve responds back with, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, God said, it's important to know God's word, right? If that's the most powerful thing in the kingdom and that's what the enemy is coming to challenge in your life, then it's important for you to know it, right? And do you think it's important to know it the way he said it? Do you think it's important to know God's word the way God said it and not our spin on it, not our interpretation of it, not our opinion of it, 
not our preference of it. Come on. I need to know God's word just the way he said it. Exactly the way he said it. I don't need to add to it. I don't need to embellish it. I don't need to over-exaggerate it. It's just as powerful all by itself. Just leave it the way it is. But what does she say? You must not eat it. And the next four words are what get us in trouble. Or even touch it. Now, you might be thinking, what's, what's the harm in that? We're, we're only, you know, if this is the line, I'm only backing from the line even further. I mean, what could be the harm? God said, don't eat it. Don't even touch it. But what did God say? Did he say anything about touching it? He did it. He doesn't need us to perfect it even further. He doesn't need us to make it anything other than what he said. He said, do not eat. And those four words are what got the whole thing in trouble. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Hmm. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Up to this point, they only knew good. And apparently that was enough. I mean, do you think that God was withholding anything? from Adam and Eve in the garden. But that's what the devil's suggesting. He's left something out. You're incomplete. You're missing something. And look what he tempts them with. He says, you will be like God. Well, what did Genesis 1:26 say? You're made in what image? I mean, how much more like God do you want to be? How much more like God can you be? Y- y- y'all getting this? He's tempting Eve with something they already have. I hope you're catching this because we see when, when we understand the kingdom and you understand his purpose, we don't skim over these things anymore. We begin to see stuff like this that He's not tempting Eve with fruit. He's tempting her with identity. He's tempting her with something that she's already obtained. And you know what? The devil's still doing that today. He's he's luring you in, drawing you in, pulling you in, trying to get you to claim something or get something on your own power that God's already made available to you through Jesus's power. Religion didn't start with the Pharisees. Religion started in Genesis 3. Do in your own power what God's already provided you. That's religious activity. And it started in the very beginning. It's the oldest trick in the book. Now, whose responsibility was it that Eve know 
the command. I know we've skipped some stuff, but we can cover it quick. Who was the command given to? If you go back in Genesis 2, Eve's not even shown up yet. But also notice who the enemy's coming to. So this word has got to be passed down in the same manner it was given to us. It's got to be passed on to the next. Apparently somewhere in there, Adam failed to communicate with his wife the accuracy and the intentionality of God's original command, do not eat the fruit of this tree, lest you eat it or you will surely die. And a woman, Eve, says, we will die if we eat it or touch from it or touch it. If we eat it or touch it, she expounds on it. And so the enemy finds an open door. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit. Now there's, there, there's two action words in that verse, isn't there? She took and she ate. Y'all understand verbs, right? Verbs are action words. I don't know a lot of grammar in English, but I do know verbs are the ones that are in operation. They're acting. She took. So why is the whole don't eat of it or even touch it a problem? Because guess what happens when she touches? I'm still alive. It must be okay to... (laughs) This is what we do, guys. We take God's word and we believe a half-truth or a truth laced with a little bit of lie. Looks good on the surface. It could be justified as virtuous and righteous and but it's not what God said the way God said it. And so then when we violate the part of it that we've embellished on and nothing happens, we think we're good with the rest of it. So she took, I'm still here. She eats, she gives to her husband who later on, Paul tells us, has the power to still, in this moment, cover her. To cover her in that moment. And say, what have you done? Repent right now. But he does what? He eats as well. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too at that moment. Their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze 
breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You know, we've talked about this before, but when the enemy asks questions, he does it to challenge truth. But when God asks questions, he does it to reveal truth. Notice they're both asking questions of Adam and Eve. Satan asked the question, did God really say? He's trying to hide truth. He's trying to challenge truth. God's asking a question, where are you? You think God doesn't know where they are? I mean, do we know? We, we know. God knows. He's not asking, where are you physically? He's asking, where are you spiritually? You've fallen from a place. And he's trying to help Adam see you're not in the place you once were. You're not where I put you. And where was that place? This is the part where we get confused or we begin to twist the message. We begin to twist the origin. We begin to twist the... Because see, in that moment when they sinned, when they ate the fruit of that tree, man did not fall from heaven, meaning that man did not lose access to heaven, meaning that they weren't like, oh, we can't go to heaven now. We We go to hell for eternity. Hell wasn't even created for man. It was created for the devil and the third of the angels that came down with him, that were cast down. You and I have no business in that environment. But now, we see Adam and Eve, they did not fall from heaven, they fell from dominion. They fell from authority. Where are you? You're not in the position of authority I once put you in. You're not seated in that place that I had you. You're not in the ruling and reigning place. You're not in the let them have dominion place. You're not in the uh, 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 subdue the earth and everything in the earth and everything on the earth. You're not in that place anymore. You're, you're out of position. You're out of authority. And not only that, not only did you lose the authority, you gave the authority. See, here's the thing about authority you have to understand. Authority can only be given. It cannot be taken. You need to understand this concept. Because we've been running around with this, uh, uh, you know, idea that the devil stole. He, he, stole, he stole their identity. He stole their authority. He stole their position. No, he did not. It was handed over on a silver platter. You can steal identity, but you can't steal authority. You can't steal authority. You can't just rise up and say, you know what, guys? Today, I'm the president of the United States. Anybody else tired of this mess going on? I'm in charge. 
They don't work like that. Authority has to be given. I'm going to go one, one more step further. It has to be given from someone in authority. Because I can't stand up and say, I'm the president, and then y'all are like, yeah, we're good with that. We put you in authority. Y'all don't have the right to put me in authority. Do they? They don't work. It's like when the teacher leaves and she assigns the, the person to be in charge of the classroom. It's got to be given from someone in authority. Well, guess what? Adam and Eve were a person, people in authority, handing authority. And now guess who's the ruler of this world? Just give you a few quick verses. John chapter 12, verse 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This was our domain. This is where we were supposed to be exercising dominion. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Second Corinthians four, verse four. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Whose minds the God of this age. And age doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the literal earth. It means space and time. Romans chapter 12, verse nine, says the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole World, He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. The devil now is the God of this world, the ruler of this world in charge. And everything that he wants to enact on the earth now comes into play. Sin, sickness and disease, depravity, tribulations, uh, Romans chapter eight says the, the travails of the earth, the groanings of the earth, the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the deadly storms and, 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 and the lawlessness and the unrighteousness all comes with the God of this world. And in that moment, we have this thought. The other thought that has crept in to our gospel, that at this moment is when God decides, you know what, that whole extend heaven to earth plan and put man on the earth and have them rule the earth like I rule heaven, that whole plan, that didn't work out. Let's change the plan. Instead of them ruling the earth, let's just get them saved and they can come live with me in heaven and forget about the earth. You know, it's in the Bible. It's, it's in the Bible. Guess what we all end up again? I mean, I know you want to live in your little mansion on your gold streets. You know, somehow somebody traded mansions in for naked baby angels floating on clouds plucking harps. I mean, why not just stay with mansions? I mean, how do we end up with this stuff? I don't get it. I don't know about your angel. My angel can tear up an army. <laughs> One angel can tear up an entire army. <laughs> he said that baby grow. Somebody's got little floating baby angels 
playing harps. I've got a 10 foot tall angel with a sword. Jesus said, man, if, if my army came down here, there'd be no fight at all. Go read in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah what those angels did. The angels are warriors. They're not floating around on clouds plucking harps and little arrows helping people fall in love. <laughs> no. It's amazing how we trade this stuff in for just what does the Bible say? And in that moment, the enemy took control, became the God of this world, took the authority that mankind had. In Genesis chapter 3, continuing on in verse 14, what is God going to do about this? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel immediately this is four verses later immediately God puts a plan in place not a plan of escape not abandoning the original plan, not going to the drawing board and erasing it all. Just say, scratch that. They messed it up. Let's just create this escape plan. I'll send my son. No, we're going to conquer this one that has deceived my man into handing over his authority. And I'm going to put my man, my people, back on the earth, and I'm going to give them that authority back. Now we have a problem. It's what I call the great dilemma. We've got a real issue. Because God is the only one the only perfect one, the only spotless one, the only one without fault, without sin that can redeem man. But there's a problem. He's also the only one that can't redeem man. Because who did God say would have dominion on the earth? Let them, and in that word, them, he removed himself from the equation. He removed himself from the equation. I'm the only one that can redeem him. But I'm not man. I'm spirit. God is a spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4. That's a problem. Unless I can find a way to put myself inside of man. 
enter Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. By the Holy Spirit conceives a woman. And Jesus, the spotless one, who's now both deity and humanity, comes to be that spotless sacrifice. He sends his only begotten son, full of grace and truth. You see how bound to God's word he remains? That he will not go back on his word. You said it's got to be a man. It's got to be a man that gets it back. It's got to be a man. God didn't abort the plan. He wanted to restore the plan. Now I'll show you a few verses. Genesis chapter 9, I'm going to do this quick. So just jot them down. They'll be on the screen behind me. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a whole new plan or does it sound like we're trying to get back to something? Anybody recognize those words? Does it sound like Genesis chapter 1? Okay. Verse 7, and as for you, be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth. I mean, come on, he's wiping the whole earth out with the flood. Why not just go ahead and take care of the eight of them and just start this thing back over in heaven? But he's trying to restart, restart the original plan. Verse 15, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood and destroy all flesh. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great what? Nation. Does that sound like we're abandoning the original plan? It sounds like we're being fruitful and multiplying. It sounds like we're filling the earth. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Even in Exodus chapter 32, when you would think, okay, God is for sure, he's he's for sure fed up with it now. He's in the wilderness with Israelites that he just brought through a Red Sea. He's performed miracle after miracle and sign after sign. And they continue to complain. They continue to uh, uh you know, curse God? Why can't we just go back to Egypt? I mean, I mean, if you think God's like, man, forget this thing, abort it, shut it down, ain't working, this is the moment. And in Exodus chapter 32 and verse nine, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. Now, Moses is the pastor. He's the first pastor we see in the Bible. He's the shepherd of these people. And you think Moses, you know, he says, look at the next line. And I will make you a great nation. Now, you know, Moses could have easily been like, by all means, 
I'm sick of it too, God. <laughs> I mean, we know Moses was frustrated. He got so frustrated, it kept him out of the promised land. <laughs> he struck that rock when he was told to speak to it. He was upset. And in the following verses, you find that Moses got in the way, stood in the gap, interceded for them and said, no. But what does God say? Does he say, I just wiped this whole thing off the planet? Everybody just come on to heaven? What does he say? And I will make of, God doesn't care if I have to get it down to one person. I will start all over with what? The original plan. So why do we have this concept, have this idea that our whole Christian existence is just doing the best we can down here on this earth, letting everything happen around us? I can't do anything about it. God, get me up out of here. I mean, if we've heard that once, we've heard it a thousand times over the last three years. Jesus, when are you coming? And I get it. It's pretty rough down here. It's going to get a lot, it's gonna get a lot worse. It's okay. But we just, we've got this idea that it's God's idea to abort the original. Now, see, that's what we do. When something breaks, we don't fix it, we abandon it. God said, uh, get it back. Get it right. Right? And I think we saw this verse last week in Romans chapter 5. I could go on, 1 Samuel chapter 8. You're going to Romans chapter 5, but 1 Samuel chapter 8, you know, you got the prophet Samuel. The people come to Samuel and say, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel gets all upset and God responds to him and says, hey, hey, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. See, God didn't want man ruled by man. He wanted man ruled by God, him. And then in turn, you rule the earth, not each other. So God says, they're rejecting me as their king. But they wanted to be like all the other nations, right? Romans chapter five, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, Adam and Eve, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Does that sound like abandoning the earth to go to heaven? It does not. It sounds like Genesis 1 verse 26, ruling and reigning down here. In the Passion Translation, it reads, death once held us in its grip and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. That's what Adam opened up and brought into the earth through their failure, right? We've said this before. If you don't remain under authority, you cannot remain in authority. A failure to submit to authority will always compromise your authority. And so since Adam and Eve sinned, what is sin? It's disobeying the word of the king. That's that's what sin is. God said this, you did this. It's that simple. No gray area. He said it. 
You know, it says in Numbers chapter 14, you know, Numbers 13 is where the spies get up on the promised land, go in, and then they refuse it. We come back with 10 bad reports and two good reports. And in Numbers chapter 14, God says, it's rebellion that you don't enter into the promised land that I've told you to go into. He even saw that as rebellion. Rebellion comes when we treat God's commands as suggestions. Well, he was suggesting we take the promised land, but if it looks difficult, it looks overwhelming, ah, you know, we'll just live this easy life here in the wilderness or go back to Egypt. And God said, you're rebellious. This disobedience. He called that a sin. But Romans 5 says, but now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning? Continue reigning as kings in life. Does that sound like do the best you can until you die and go to live with God in heaven? Now, let me tell you something. You can't have two kings ruling in the same place at the same time. That doesn't work, does it? So guess what? Who's king in heaven? And if you go to heaven, guess who's still king? Guess who's not? So where do you think the reigning is talking about? Oh, we're going to reign in heaven. No, you're not. There's a king up there already. You're not going to overthrow him. You're going to end up with the devil. That's what he tried to do. He said, no, I want you to bow to me. He ain't, we ain't both, we're not, we're not doing this together. Y'all with me? I've heard people tell me, oh, well, that means, you know, when you die and go to heaven. No, I don't. I think it means what it means. I think it means you will reign as kings in this life. That sounds a lot like Genesis 1.26 to me. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going a little over, but I hope that's okay. I, I got I to gotta dial this in. Matthew 16. Uh, just get me to verse 19. You know, it's the conversation with Jesus and Peter. Who do men say that I am? Jesus, uh, Peter speaks up. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter, you, you, the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And look what he says to Peter. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Is that verse 18? I will build my church. Who's building the church? Jesus. The church. This is the first time Jesus mentions the church. You think that'd be pretty important, right? Whatever Jesus has to say about the church in this moment. Do I have a church in the room? Because, right, the church ain't a building, Pastor. Well, good. Then raise your hand. You're the church. The church is the people. Okay, good. Then accept all that comes with that. If you're going to just throw that out there, then accept everything that comes with the church is the people. Because most of us don't connect these two verses. I need it in the, the New King James. You're, you're beating me to my punch. Got to do this in order. I, got, I know what I'm doing. New King James. I say that you are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And this is what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why would you, what a weird thing to say about a place that you go and just worship God. The gates of hell will not prevail. 
will not overrun it, will not overpower it. And then he goes on to say this, and I will give you keys to the what? Of the kingdom. Have we missed this? The church has keys to a kingdom. Now, what do keys mean? Keys mean authority. There are people in this building right now that have a key to this building. And if they have to come up here and access, even if, it's up, even if they're up here by themselves, you would have no right to say, what do you think you're doing at Anchor Faith Church? What are you doing up here? How did you get in here? I've got a key. No, 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 you're not supposed to be in here. No, the key means I have the authority to be here. Now, sometimes you're like Pastor Chris, you can't find your key. And now you're having like, can I borrow your authority to get into the... But guess what? If I'm an authority and I have a key and I give him the key, you can't be like, you can't be here. Well, Pastor Mark gave me the key. See, the devil's trying to talk you out of stuff that you've been given the key to and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, here you go. You're not supposed to be walking in healing. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, here you go. Here's the key to healing. Huh? Keys denote authority. Authority. You've been authorized by the key. You've been given keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is to the church. This isn't to Jesus. This isn't to a few select that are really good, really righteous, really holy. To the church. I will build my church. Hell won't overpower it. And I'm even going to go further. You will have keys to access anything in the kingdom of heaven that you need. To bind and to loose. Now look at it in the passion. Passion, verse 18, I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, define church, my legislative assembly. We'll break that down much further. But the word church in the Greek is the word ecclesia. It meant a group called out from a place to meet at a place. Called out from the world to meet and assemble. A legislative. Anybody recognize that word? My son was just telling me he's got a history test tomorrow on the judicial branch, the executive branch, and the legislative branch of the United States of America. Legislation. It's a group of people. It was a real word. In their day, it was not a Christian word. They weren't like, oh, there goes Jesus speaking all that Christianese stuff again. No, they were like, you mean the Ecclesia, like the Senate? Like the Roman Senate that comes out from communities, they gather together to legislate rules and laws and order that will go back to the communities and create a functional orderly system by which they operate. And that's what you and I are doing. Oh, you thought you were just checking a box. You thought you were just coming to sing a few songs and write down a few notes. You thought you were coming to just, you know, fulfill religious activity. You thought you were coming to meet Christian, other Christian singles. That's all right. I met my wife in a church. Amen. 
whatever it is, Jesus had a purpose for the church. And it was a legislative assembly. A legislative assembly. It's government. It's always been about government. God came to restore. Now, you know, I can, I can say that word in any environment. Yes, yes, pastor. Yeah, you're right on. To restore. But do we know what that means? Have you ever looked up the word restore? Just in the dictionary. To restore something. I'll close with this. To restore something means to put it back in its original location. Many of y'all know where I'm going. If I have a Bible on a podium, right? If I have this Bible, it's on the podium. Everyone see the Bible on the podium. Everyone see Adam and Eve in the garden. Everyone see Adam and Eve ruling and reigning over the earth. Let them have dominion. Name the animals. Guard it. Tend it. Keep it. And they fall. The Bible falls. And God restores. We think God picked up the Bible and moved them over here to heaven. But have I restored the Bible? What do I need to do to restore the Bible? Where do I got to put it to restore? Back on the earth, ruling and reigning once again. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Because Jesus' life was a complete demonstration of what a restored man with authority looks like on the earth. Nothing was in charge of Jesus. Nothing was in charge of Jesus. Nothing ruled over Jesus. Not a storm, not a demon, not death, not a sickness, not a disease. Jesus didn't come to show you what he could do. Jesus came to show you what you can do. And you need to find out what a restored man looks like. Not this one that just sits around and waits for the windows of heaven to open up and Jesus to come crashing through and catch us all away. You need to find out what really happened at the cross. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.